Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 315, and I had a conversation with Victoria Lily Schaefer. She's the founder of Pup Culture Rescue. She's an animal welfare advocate and the author of Pup Culture, Stories, Tips, and the Importance of Adopting a Dog. Uh, Along with her team and volunteers, she rescues homeless, mistreated, and overlooked animals both locally and internationally. Uh, It's based here in Los Angeles, and pubculturerescue.org is devoted to providing proper medical care rehabilitation and helping dogs and pups find their forever homes. She's doing good work, and... Uh, we had a really fun conversation. She had dogs around her. There were dogs in the house. Uh, she had the cutest <laughs> little dog named Raisin fit in her hand. It was adorable. Really loved talking with her. I'm a huge dog fan. I love dogs. And when I had my Mikey who passed away, he was the biggest, bestest, brightest thing in my life. And uh, I just, I know how much joy that dogs bring animals in general but for me especially dogs so it was a real honor having her on the show i wanted to let everybody know that the are we there yet i'm gonna call it a podcast it's not a podcast yet right now it's still videos and there's three uh as of friday there'll be four episodes and uh, me and Mara Edelman have been talking about relationships and sex and love and all these sorts of things. And we decided to put it all on a show for you. So definitely go check that out. And the easiest way to find it is on the Are We There Yet Instagram, which is Are We There Yet IG. If you go there, there's a link in the bio that takes you right to the YouTube channel. Uh, Basically, you have to have 100 subscribers in order to have the show named what we want to name it. (laughs) So definitely go check it out, subscribe, and and help us get those numbers up. Really appreciate it. It's fun to have a new show, and I'm really proud of it. And I love Mara, and we have a good time. And I think it's important to talk about that stuff. So go check it out. Are we there yet? IG to find the link in the bio over there. Uh, other social media, Hey Human Podcast is found on Instagram and Facebook. And you can go to heyhumanpodcast.com and find all sorts of things, including a links page. Every episode comes with a links page on the website. And I try and do the deep dive so that you don't have to. You can go there and learn about every guest and what we've talked about and books and research and links galore. So go check that out. You'll also find the store where you can get Hey Human merch, t-shirts and bags and hats and uh, check that out. It's a good way to help support Hey Human. Another wonderful way to support the show is to rate and review it and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It boosts that lovely algorithm and gets the word out even more. You can contribute to Hey Human Podcast and that can be done there on the website as well, heyhumanpodcast.com. Click that button and you'll be taken to a secure site. Every little bit helps. Keep it ad-free and keeps the show up and running. So thank you for that. 
You can check out my official Susan Ruth YouTube channel. There's so much social media, is there not? That is music and interviews and various things over there. So that has its name, Official Susan Ruth on YouTube. Go check that out. You can go to SusanRuth.com and find out more about the other stuff I do, art and music and acting things, uh, interviews with me. Uh, Sign up on the mailing list there. Every once in a while, send out a mailer, let you know what I'm up to, if there's something new and exciting going on. If you're new to Hey Human podcast and you know that we're up to episode 315 and you're wondering, hmm, I'm on iTunes, but I only see 300 episodes on here. What gives? Well, what gives is... I guess their algorithm is kind of wonky and it only, or maybe it's just the way things are, I don't know. They only show 300 episodes at a time. If you want to check out the older episodes, just pop on over to heyhumanpodcast.com and they're all on there. And you can do some deep dives into the old shows and check those out. I think that's all I have to share right now for new and exciting or interesting. Oh, I did just read The Prestige, which they made a movie out of. And I don't think the, well, I mean, you know, the movie was great. Don't get me wrong, but they really truncated a lot of the story. So if you're into Audible or you're into reading, go check out The Prestige because it's really good. I am very late to the party and just started Broad City and it's really funny and I'm enjoying that. Uh, If you want to laugh at these two crazy girls doing crazy things, that is the show for you. It is. I actually laughed out loud (laughs) a few times, so it's a good show. Okay, that's it. Let's get into the episode. Thank you for listening. Be well. Take care of each other. Be kind. Be the love you wish to see in the world. Pet a dog. Be happy. Or if you can't be happy, you know, hold on hold on for another day and and know that I'm I'm thinking of you and supporting you out here in the in the world wide web um yeah all right let's get into this here we go hi hi <gasps> oh who's that hi this is raisin oh my gosh <laughs> and we've raisin. got we got raisin is so tiny We've got Chardonnay. Chardonnay. Nice to meet you. Hi, Chardonnay. Hi, Phoebe. Oh, and she's so cute. mothers around, so. She looks like uh, my dog, Mikey, that I had. Raisin is so little. What is Raisin? Raisin's a chihuahua. He's only five weeks old. He was separated from his mom way too early. Aw. And Chardonnay is only like eight months old and the two of them play like crazy oh they love each other are they bonding are they a bonded pair no no they're not they've only known each other for about four days but (laughs) okay um but they definitely enjoy playing together they're so So, cute i can't believe how little raisin is oh he's just a little raisin what is that pop that you're wearing Oh, it's a dress from a company that I love so much called Gorman. It's an Australian company. They had a store out here for a very quick moment in time um, on Melrose. And I don't know why it didn't last in the U.S., but I still followed them religiously because I think their stuff is very unique and they work with a lot of like local Australian artists for their patterns and stuff. 
So I wear a lot of their clothing. I do like two pretty generous orders uh, a year where I just stock up on some of their stuff because it's like more unique than things you could get at the Century City Mall. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I like uh, buying from things where I think not 12 other people already have the thing. Yeah, exactly. Maybe everyone, I know it's very popular in Australia because I went there uh, a couple of years ago and the store was everywhere. Yeah. Oh my God. That dog is so dang cute. How many, (laughs) how many dogs do you live with at any given time? Well, I have three personal dogs. So those are the resident dogs. And then currently I have three fosters, but I am sort of toning it down a little bit because I'm going on my first vacation in like four years next week. So I'm slowly getting my fosters out to different fosters um, in preparation for that. But usually, you know, six is pretty low for, for us. Usually I would say we, there's something like 10, 10 to 15 dogs here at once. Um, But that's because, because I don't usually get just a single puppy like this guy. I usually get a whole litter, which ups my number by a lot. When he's abandoned by his mom so early, what does that mean for him as being a foster to be reared? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, I carry him around like in a little scarf uh, with me when I go out on my errands because he does need to be fed regularly. He will eat on his own, but he does try to suckle from my dogs. So he does get bottles. He laps up, you know, formula mixed with, uh, warm water and kibble, like softened kibble, or he'll get a little bit of wet food or some chicken and some vegetables. He's very spoiled, but he eats well. Um, I just make sure that he eats extremely regularly on a schedule so that he continues to gain weight because if he had his mom with him, he would have milk regularly available whenever he's hungry and he would just go help himself. But without his mom, he's, he doesn't have that resource and he doesn't have that nutrition that would be so great for him to have. So I'm providing him with that, uh, artificially, but yeah. And then he just, you know, it, it could be very easy for him to just like be left alone in a little pen um, and not be socialized and he wouldn't make a peep and he would sleep and be totally, you know, easy, but then he wouldn't end up being well socialized and um, he would end up being like a weird sort of dog. And so because of that, he gets to meet all different people and he walks around strapped to my chest and he, he it's very comforting to him. Like it's like his mother's heartbeat. Um, so we sort of, I try to mimic that the best that I can, like in his little, he sleeps in a pack and play and the pack and play is set up. It's like, you know, like, um, a travel, like what ba- babies parents would bring to travel with their child. So it pops up and half of it is like a little puppy pad area. And then half of it, he's got like a little donut bed and a blanket that he can like curl up in. And then he has like a 
big stuffed animal that he sort of like nuzzles into. So we're trying to mimic what it would be like from his mom early on. And if he was even younger, there would be like a little heating pad or a hot water bottle in there. But he's he's over like the newborn hump. He's at five weeks. So we're getting there. Uh, well, let's get into you. Firstly, Victoria Schaefer, welcome to Hey Human. Thank you. Yeah, I'm like, do, did we start the interview or not? I, I have so much to talk about already. I'm, I know, it's great. No, um, and uh, your your um, connection goes a little bit weird. So if I, if I get very quiet, usually the Zoom will pick up your side. So okay. I just stay quiet and know that it'll write itself again. But if it gets totally crazy, I'll be like, wait, wait. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. So let's get into you. You grew up in New York or did you grow up I in California? Did. New York, yeah. Tell me about childhood. Born and raised in New York. <laughs> well, I guess it was a bit untraditional, but I didn't notice that it was untraditional growing up. My parents did an excellent job of raising us in our, us as in my little brother, um, Will, who is six years younger than me, studying to be a doctor. He's one of those brainy folks. Um, anyway, we, we didn't really think that we were raised differently or there was anything special about our family. Um, we grew up in Westchester County, an hour outside of Manhattan. We had you know, a wonderful nature filled, you know, childhood didn't grow up with dogs until I was a bit older when I started to pester my parents, but we still spent so much time outside in the snow or in the woods or swimming trampoline, you know, all this wonderful things that my parents gave us to be crazy kids. Um, living in a suburb. So yeah, but then, you know, I definitely still got a knack for the entertainment industry. I would go uh, to work with my dad um, on the Letterman show. And that was just this extremely special and impactful experience. And I just thought I want to do something like this one day. (laughs) Did it, did it occur to you or uh, better yet, at what point did it occur to you that you were moving around people who were celebrity, quote unquote? Yeah. Um, I don't remember an exact time that I realized. I, I, I think that at the cool, the earliest thing that was super cool to me was when I went to the Mean Girls premiere with my dad and I got to bring my childhood best friend. Um, and there was a red carpet and um, Lindsay Lohan signed my movie poster. That's the earliest memory I have of getting to have a really cool experience that not everyone does. Um, and now of course that movie is like a massive, it's like a classic basically to my, to people my age. So I realized how, how cool that was even more, but, um, yeah, I don't think I ever thought anything different before that, as far as going to a set and seeing musicians and 
actors that I recognized. I don't know what I was thinking at the time, but it just was natural. It's just what I had grown up on. So, yeah, I imagine anytime there were stupid pet tricks, you, uh, you were right there. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, there are so many strange things that I thought were just normal like that. Or, um, like I went to my dad's work every year for Thanksgiving and, um, never really had a traditional Thanksgiving around a table with family until David Letterman had his own son. And then he, then they stopped working on Thanksgiving, but that wasn't in, you know, Harry is in college now. So that was it. That was not till later in my life. I'm much older than Harry. So I just thought it was normal that we went to work and a guy in an astronaut suit would serve us Turkey and my dad would get, because I would force him to get me a little part in one of the Thanksgiving skits so that I could get a, uh, a check in the mail. <laughs> I thought that was so cool. And, and John Mayer would perform every single Thanksgiving. Yeah, I just thought that's just normal. I don't know. I mean, now, obviously, that isn't normal, but didn't think anything of it. I just a very exciting thing to look forward to each year. And um, my dad's office window, you could actually reach your hand out and touch a float from the Thanksgiving Day Parade. That's cool. It was very cool. Yeah. (laughs) Did you have any issues growing up with people trying to get to be a part of that? Did it give you a sense of who you can trust and not trust pretty early on as well? Yeah. When I was in elementary school, I was in the orchestra and I was a violin player. And I use that term very loosely because I (laughs) could not play the violin at all. And I hated it so much that I would just fake it. I would literally just skim my bow over the strings without touching them and just pretend that I was playing. And somehow I ended up in the like honors travel orchestra or something. And I had no idea why, because I couldn't even play anything. Um, And then they ended up asking my dad to conduct the orchestra for the show. And then I realized that that's, that something was up that, Mm -hmm. that it wasn't, I wasn't promoted to an honors orchestra seat uh, because of me. Otherwise, yeah, I think I've been decently fortunate to find to find a, a good amount of people. Of course, there are a lot of people that do take advantage, but I I have a small circle of people that I really trust and feel comfortable around. Was there a lot of pressure to be a great musician since your dad is is one of yeah, the? Yeah, there was, but. Um, it was never from my dad actually it was you know he like signed my brother and I up for piano lessons and people would just like expect it to come out of our fingers and it didn't and you know people are like oh why are you not a musician and it's like well it's just way too much pressure and I'm not like he's an actual music prodigy like born that way and that is just not me. I was not born with that skill. Maybe my children will have that skill and it skips a generation, they say, but I'm just a realistic person. Uh, I think it's lucky actually in a way because it removes a lot of the pressure. If you don't have to somehow 
rise to any occasion of a level that your dad is, then you can actually be your own person, which I, I think, and kudos to your parents too, because I think a lot of parents look to live through their kids especially as they get older and all that. So it's good that you didn't have to worry about that. Whereas for me, it's the opposite. My parents were like, do not go into the entertainment industry because it's just way too risky. And it's just very emotionally draining. There's a, you're going to get a lot of no's. And I was insistent on that. You know, I still, I, I didn't get the music part, but I, I did get the entertainment part. Like I love hosting. I love interviewing and being on camera, but as myself, not as an actress. Um, I just absolutely love, love it. So I got that side of things. And then of course they couldn't have thought that there is anything that you could make any less money than being a struggling entertainer, but yet I have found it. And that is rescue. (laughs) And so, you know, they're concerned parents in the most loving way, supportive, the most supportive parents uh, when I told them I wanted to start a rescue, but also concerned in the sense, how are you going to make a living? Yeah, that makes sense. Like most parents, they want their kids to succeed and and yeah, yeah, and put food on the table and pay for things like health insurance. How did you come into the animal rescue world, was that something you studied in school, like veterinarian medicine or was it? It's such a weird serendipitous thing. When I was 12, all of my friends had dogs and we never had any. And I discovered what animal rescue was. And I convinced my parents to adopt a dog. And I, we ended up adopting two who I grew up with and stayed with my parents once I went off to college. And then when I went to college, I really missed having dogs around. So I adopted my own two dogs. So I was 19 living in Manhattan, interning at Good Morning America, going to college and raising two puppies, uh, one of which ended up being like nearly a hundred pounds. So I like, I say the smartest or not the smartest, the best thing I've ever done and the dumbest thing I've ever done. The dogs that I ended up adopting, I adopted them sight unseen. I adopted them from Georgia and North Carolina through petfinder.com and adopt a pet. Um, and they were, they were ill, they had trauma and I really had to work very hard to work to get them through these things. And I started to realize you know, I've made a real impact in their lives. I'm kind of good at this. I'm like a very nurturing person. Naturally. I love children so much as well. So, um, so I started to foster and then fostering led to being an adoption coordinator. And then now here we are with my own rescue pup culture rescue. (laughs) Absolutely. And what is the goal of pup culture where are you headed with all the dogs because they move through pretty rapidly you have dog events good adoption events yeah we've been very fortunate to be growing rapidly um i launched pup culture rescue in october 
And in six months, we rescued over a hundred dogs. And, you know, by our first year, we expect to be at least 200 dogs um, rescued. And I don't know, it's just the power of social media, I guess. And and the power of the rescue community and how tight knit it is. And um, word of mouth really has been doing it for us and through shelters and um, all sorts of ways, but owner surrenders. The community has been extremely helpful in, in uh, helping us rescue dogs as well. Like we have a big community of rescuers who tell us about strays or dogs on euthanasia lists at different shelters. And also we take owner surrenders. Um, So it's just been amazing the support we've received since launching. And it does help that I, you know, wrote a book about rescue and it's just all contributing to uh, amazing people finding out about us. How did COVID affect all of it? Because I know that people went out and adopted like crazy and then suddenly they had animals that perhaps they weren't prepared for. Very sad. Yeah. (laughs) Very disappointing. This sort of work is often, uh, it, it often makes you disappointed in humanity. I would say there are so many people that just, take a puppy so thoughtlessly and don't consider the responsibility or the commitment. And then a year later, they end up at my rescue. And just the other day, someone had a dog for a year and then they just dropped it off in my house. Like nothing, like there was no emotion behind it. Um, And the dog was clearly attached to the person and the door closed behind us and the dogs just sat on the other side of the door crying oh god and waited for this person who just dumped them basically for like a several hours before she decided to come in and meet the other dogs and stuff it's it's so sad and traumatizing for these animals i just wish that people would put a little bit more thought into um what they're doing before bringing in a living creature, you know, who feels things and has emotions and trauma and every, you know, attachment. It's been very, very sad to see how many people are willing to just toss their dogs like that. They're highly intelligent animals. It's it's as if you were to take your four-year-old and just drop them at some stranger's house and say, sayonara, good luck. Right. And, and that's what a trainer I work closely with explains it as it's like your child is being kidnapped. Like the dog feels like they're being kidnapped and they're very scared and confused and they don't know what they could have done for their parent to ditch them like that. Um, and this is an issue that then we have to undo we have to rehabilitate so now this dog is in foster and the dog has extreme separation anxiety and we're working very very hard to undo the damage that someone else had done and that's just the base of it you know that doesn't 
that doesn't even go into abuse um, and other things that we deal with. That is just someone dropping a dog off. Mm-hmm. I often wonder about that when you have a dog that has been rescued and then fostered. And I watch these videos on the dodo or on various TikToks and things of these beautiful, loving little little creatures who get abandoned and have so many issues and then they fall in love with their foster family and then the foster family has to give to somebody new i can't imagine the dogs are like what is happening i just got comfortable yeah and we that's the other thing that we deal with a lot is we'll get dogs adopted and we think this is the most fantastic home the people are so nice they're going to be great for this dog and they give the dog less than a week to settle in and they say the dog doesn't like it here or the dog isn't, you know, comfortable, it's crying, etc. And they return the dog to us. And we're just like actual statistic that it takes three weeks for a dog to realize that this is their home and that they should, you know, start to be comfortable and can rely on the meals coming and stuff like that. It's a very patient process, but it's an incredibly rewarding thing once the dog gets comfortable and realizes that you're its parents, its owner, adopter, whatever term you would like to use, and that this is their home. Once that clicks, it's amazing. But until then, it is challenging. Even in the best scenario, it's a lot of work. Even in the best scenario, of course, and even just adopting a puppy who has absolutely no trauma that was born into our rescue, that's even work. A puppy is a lot of work, you know, sleepless nights and um, potty training and keeping your eyes on them at all times. That is also a lot of work that people don't necessarily mentally prepare themselves for. Yeah, when people get mad at dogs for acting like dogs or puppies for acting like puppies, you think, yeah. I try to explain to people, like, when they pick up the puppy, I'm like, this puppy has literally been alive for eight weeks. So its experiences are very minimal. Everything you show this dog, they will be shown for the first time in their life. So just remember that. Yeah, it's good advice. How do you deal with the separation anxiety? I really, really recommend crate training. And I know that it is a difficult thing uh, in the beginning, but it will be well worth it. Um, I tell everyone, especially during COVID, when we were all at home all the time, to make a point to leave your house uh, for at least one hour, two hours, preferably even multiple times a day. because your dog will will get very bonded to you and will uh, become anxious when you leave. So there's that. But there's also just simple tricks like a sound machine or putting a blanket over the crate, uh, giving them a frozen Kong that will you know keep them so busy uh, that they won't even notice that you're gone. Or a uh, big thing is, don't make it a big deal when you leave. Don't say, oh, goodbye. I'm going to miss you so much. I love you. Just put the dog in the crate, close it and leave. Like no big deal that I'm going out. I'll just be right back. Same thing when you um, come home, just open the crate and it's like you never left. No big deal. 
instead of like, oh, like all the excitement and energy around coming and going. That's true. No matter if you have a crate or not, I think that the dogs that jump up and are so spazzy and excited, if you ignore them when you first come in, that'll start to dissipate. Right. And, um, and even with my fosters, like we are trying to make them as well behaved as we possibly can, but we only have so much time with them before they, they're adopted, but we try to set up a good, a good basis, good boundaries and structure, um, and consistency. Yeah. Welcome to my house. There's a lot of barking. (laughs) We actually are very quiet for a household with so many dogs. And I've been complimented by all of my neighbors. Uh, My neighbors are luckily extremely supportive and kind. um, But but sometimes some a dog walks by and everyone gets excited. But most of the time it's very quiet here. It's very organized structure is like the saving grace for me. Do you find that the older dogs teach the younger dogs how to behave? Absolutely. Yes. That is like a huge thing. We'll, we have Chardonnay actually, my, one of my fosters, she came from a hoarding situation. She had never lived inside in her lifetime before she came Um, into my rescue and she had actually gone to a different foster who had her for a month but he had no other dogs and he was a super gentle patient guy who worked super hard to get her to where she was but at a certain point there was only so far she could come without other dogs and that's when we realized that moving her to my house would be best so she came to my house and within a week, she had made strides because she had been following the other dogs and they gave her a lot of confidence and um, she was being crated next to other dogs. So she felt comfortable. And now she's like pretty much a normal dog. But two months ago, you would have thought this dog has no chance at be- being a normal quote unquote dog um, and going into a home that's inexperienced or, you know, doesn't have a lot of patience now she's she could go into another home totally fine and happily but it's not because of me that she made that last bit of progress that we needed to to have do you think it's healthier for a dog to have another dog no not i don't think so i think it's completely dependent on the dog Mm. um i always say there are dog dogs and there are people dogs So there are dogs who just love other dogs and there are dogs who will be perfectly happy being an only dog and they'll love that. Um, And I have a combination of those in my little pack. My boss interior Chihuahua Roo, she would be totally fine if we had no other dogs. Um, Whereas my dog Alfie, he thrives in a situation with other dogs, but One of my pet peeves that I've also discussed with trainers is when we get adopters who are adopting for their dog and not for themselves. You're basically setting yourself up for failure um, because you should be the leader of your house. You want dogs to enhance your life, 
not hinder your life. And of course, we have to make sacrifices day to day uh, because we need to make sure that our dog's needs are met and that they're well cared for, well cared for and well exercised. But if you are adopting a dog just because you think your dog needs to have another dog, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, If you feel like your dog loves other dogs, then bring them to the dog park every day or have playdates with your friend's dogs. But don't get a dog that's going to drive you crazy or feel make you feel overwhelmed um, or that's unaffordable to you Mm -hmm. uh, because you think that your dog needs a friend. Yeah. I had the most perfect dog in the whole world, Mikey, who I adored with every ounce of my being and he passed. And, uh, it's, it's wild. It's been about five years. And, you know, my friends keep saying, when are you going to get another dog? When are you going to get another dog? And I say, well, when my life can accommodate, it worked perfectly to have Mikey when I had Mikey and, it would be cruel, I think, to bring a dog into my life right now when I know I wouldn't be able to have the to be able to care for the dog the way they deserve to be cared for. And right. it's interesting because I think and I know this isn't dogs aren't people, but I have never felt that much pain in my life as when I lost him. It was devastating. Well, and I can not imagine going up to somebody who lost a kid and saying, when are you going to get another kid? Right, right, exactly. I think, you know, we have people that um, adopt two weeks after their dog passes away, and we have people that haven't had a dog in 10 years. It's just about, you know, when you feel the right time is, and often it's about when you come across the right dog, then you'll feel ready. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very emotional thing losing a dog because, like you might, you probably spend more time with your dog than you spend with like your grandma. Like, and so you feel like a piece of yourself is missing and you open the door and there's not a dog there to greet you. Like the constant companionship is a huge adjustment to live without. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas grandma is extremely sad that you've lost them, but you probably saw them once once every few months. So it's not quite as, uh, life-changing. Also grandma's love comes with conditions and the dog. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I am dreading the day that my night, my dog that I've had by my side since I was 19 passes away. She's 10 now. Um, and my other dog is nine. Although because he's a lot bigger, he's a great Pyrenees mix. He's aging at a quicker pace. And it is heartbreaking to watch. Watching your dog age is a really difficult thing to witness. Yeah. And the other thing too is when if you are if you have the honor to escort your dog into and a cat, anyone, any companion like that to the other side. Mm-hmm. do so don't just hand them over to the vet and say all right see ya because you can't handle it like they need to see you <laughs> they need to be yeah, with you yes. I think in my personal opinion it's I agree I um had a I actually had a fourth dog uh a puppy who ended up having distemper um he was a 
foster of mine from Mexico and his distemper symptoms came on super late. Like when he was three months old and he tested negative for distemper initially, it's weird and tricky thing, but he ended up passing away. Um, Well, it basically got to the point where it was just life was not livable anymore. Um, And I had someone come over to the house and, and cross him to the other side, cuddled up into, in my bed. So mm-hmm. I totally understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What will you expand from pup and then go to other animals as well? Or do you think you'll stay with the dog rescue solely? I think I'm going to stick with dogs. Uh, that's just what I know. And where I feel like my, like I can really make a difference. Mm. Um, if I get, there's only so much a single person can do. I rescue has talked about starting to do, but I would not be leading the cat rescue portion. I don't know a thing about cats, not, not a thing. So um, if we do do cats, uh, a girl on my team would take that, that portion of our rescue. But yeah, dogs are my thing. It's where I feel like I can make the most um, impact. How do you get supplies and how do people donate? How can they volunteer and foster? Oh my goodness. So fostering is the number one way that you could help. Uh, Whether it's my rescue or any rescue, you know, wherever you live, we cannot save dogs without a place for them to go. So if you're able to foster, um, it's completely free. We provide all supplies. We make the appointments at our vets and pay for the medical bills. All we ask for is your home and your time um, and your love. Second way is is definitely donating. Um, You can visit our website, pupculturerescue.org or our Instagram at pupculturerescue. We're on Venmo, PayPal, tons of ways to donate. and even, you know, five, $10 makes a big difference to us because we are paying for more vet bills than you could imagine. And we are going through so much dog food. Those are <laughs> our biggest expenses. So contributing towards that um, is extremely helpful. And as far as volunteer opportunities, we don't really have many because we are a foster-based rescue. We don't have a physical location. So we don't have a place where you can like come walk dogs. Um, so really the biggest ways to help is foster or donate. Um, you can see all of our dogs on our Instagram. You can donate towards a specific dog or a specific dog's needs, such as a surgery. Um, but yeah, we stay afloat just through donations and adoption fees I don't take a cent from the rescue. My team of amazing, uh, strong women who would literally take a bullet for our dogs do not take a cent from the rescue. It all goes towards the dogs. And even still, we have to cut corners um, where we can. So we will take, you know, dog food donations. Um, We we are always trying to figure out the most affordable ways to get the supplies that our dogs need without 
um, sacrificing their level of care. And mm-hmm. if that means taking less dogs, then that's what we do at the time. But we would love to be able to take way more dogs than we do now. It's just a matter of finances. What is the process of going from your place to a foster home? Um, it, we try to make it as simple as possible. So you would fill out a foster application. Uh, one of our coordinators would reach out to you to complete a home check, a virtual home check through FaceTime or Zoom, whatever you'd like. Um, after we figured out like what your home is like and what your schedule daily is like and you know what sort of dogs your existing dogs get along with, we scour the internet, we look at shelters, we reach out to our rescuers, and we match you with a foster dog. That foster dog starts at my home where I'm able to evaluate the dog. Um, and then you come pick up your foster dog along with all the supplies that you could ever need for that dog. And you take them home and then um, we will organize like a vet visit that you would be required to bring them to. And we require a minimum of two weeks commitment. So that's usually the amount of time that we can get the dog, the vetting that it needs. And uh, if it's a super adoptable dog, then we can usually get them adopted within two weeks. But right now the shelters are so crowded. You know, there's so many Huskies, there's so many Shepherds, uh, there's so many Chihuahuas that it is proving to be a little bit more difficult. Um, And Pitbulls is on that breeds, of course, as well. I think it's because these breeds of dogs um, are attractive to communities of uneducated or irresponsible people who do not spay and neuter their dogs, um, who support backyard breeding or work long hours and don't have the time for their dog. Um, That's my theory, at least, of why these dogs Um, are just oversaturating the shelters and the rescue world right now. Um, Same thing like with pit bulls. People are like, well, why do pit bulls have such a bad reputation? Because they are cool looking, strong, powerful dogs that are attractive to the communities that support dog fighting and backyard breeding. Um, So it's unfortunate. Hopefully you know, myself and other into those communities and speak more about the importance of spay and neuter and uh, not breeding and committing to your dog, that sort of thing. That's uh, something that's extremely important to me and my rescue and something that I think helps us to stand out is that we do host different educational events. We've done events at teen rehabilitation centers. We've done a vet, we're doing an event this weekend at UCLA. Um, so we are making an effort to educate the youth so that these problems can be resolved eventually. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Mason. <laughs> How many dogs have you gotten your parents to adopt? Only two, Uh shockingly, but they've helped me so much. Like I'm going on my first vacation next week to Hawaii. I've never been to Hawaii and 
my mom is flying from New York to LA just to watch the dogs at my house so that I can go on vacation. So my parents are like the ultimate parents. They will fly across the country in a heartbeat to help me. And so for that reason, they have decided not to go to get dogs of their own. Um, And that's the responsible thing to do, you know, so I'm supportive of that. Of course, I would love them to have the companionship, but if they are longing for dog companionship, they just need to come over. (laughs) So currently they're fostering and they'll maintain the fostering relationship. I get that. Exactly. And they're helping me with the rescue and they travel so much that it would it wouldn't be the right thing for them to do, but they need a raisin sized dog. I know, I know, but I, I just don't, they're, you know, they're retired basically. Yeah. My dad is still doing things of course, but they're tired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They've, they've earned their retirement. I'm yeah, sure. Exactly. So yeah, but they, they're so great. And my mom emails everyone every time a dog is in need of a surgery to see if anyone is willing to donate. She contributes great ideas um, to the rescue. And she follows along so religiously where she's like, what happened to this dog? What happened to this dog? How's this dog doing? She wants to know all the time. Yeah, that's great. It's, so it's, it's- like she has dogs. Yeah, that's it's awesome that your parents are supportive. I think that's cool yeah. because I think some parents would be like, you're going to do what with your life? <laughs> yeah, it's it it was definitely concerning. Like I think that they um were definitely nervous in the beginning when I decided to delve into rescue this deeply, but they see that this is what I'm passionate about and this is what I'm good at doing and I get to use my, you know, entertainment skills of public speaking and hosting to do good things as well. Yeah, absolutely. So Victoria, all right. So people can donate pupculturerescue.org. Yep. That's it. Yeah. I hope you make millions of dollars uh, for the dogs. Thank you so much. I would love to be, to be that in that position as well. Um, we have so much more work to do in rescue. Um, I'm only making a tiny, tiny dent, but uh, hopefully other people will be inspired to at least uh, donate a couple bucks or start fostering or, or adopt instead of buy their next dog. Or to think about not adopting if they don't have the wherewithal, the capacity, the home, the, the lifestyle. Exactly. To really take a step back and see if they can, can handle it. Yeah. Because that's just as important too, I think. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. Bye. 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 Rate, review, and subscribe to Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.